What's up, peeps? Hey, uh, Thanksgiving's just around the corner, and uh, we are finishing our series called Hindsight is 2020. And so we are grateful that you're here with us in person. I want to say uh, hello to those that are joining us online, whether it be on our website or on our Facebook page. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And then also we want to give a shout out real quick to uh, Edgewood. So uh, everyone here on the Wills Point location, let's just give Edgewood a round of applause real quick. <laughs> so we, uh, we look forward uh, to uh, hearing how God uses uh, your time together uh, with uh, potentially family and friends this week. I know that there's probably... Uh, lots of uh, different approaches to Thanksgiving this year and one of the craziest years of all time. Uh, but real quickly before we uh, hop in, want to just uh, take a few moments and on both campuses and online, I encourage you to lean in because I'm going to give you a, a couple of quick updates. Um, and so uh, due to um, so many people traveling uh, this year and lots of different uh, plans for Thanksgiving, uh, as well as uh, just some students and everything being off, uh, we are going to designate the next week as Family Week uh, here at Stone Point. And so that means there's no student ministry this week. Uh, so we're encouraging people to travel, encouraging people to enjoy time with family. We're also going to extend Family Week through next weekend. So next Sunday, we're going to encourage you to worship in your homes with your family over pancakes and pajamas, Okay. <laughs> Um, and so men, listen, do not miss out on an opportunity to cook breakfast for your family. Uh, we're going to give you a handful of tools and resources where you can enjoy that in your home. And so we're going to give a brief service. We're going to give you some, uh, some resources where you can have a little dialogue with your family. And our goal is, is to help you, uh, in a sense, kind of uh, spend some time with your family, encouraging one another, loving one another. And then this really helps us in a, in a variety of other ways. One is it encourages a lot of our people, serve team members that have been faithfully serving since this summer. A lot of them have been pulling double duty uh, because a lot of our serve team members uh, still just haven't been able to uh, feel comfortable to come back in person yet. And so we just want to kind of encourage our church to rest up because we plan to finish strong in December. Okay. Um, and so two weeks from now, uh, we are going to uh, kick off our sermon series two weeks from now called Behold. That'll take us all the way through Christmas season, uh, as well as some other things we'll announce to you at the end of the service when Cody comes and uh, shares a little bit later. But just FYI, we'll, we'll make sure that you get it text, email, every other way to annoy you this week. No weekend services next weekend and no student ministry this week. Make sense? Cool deal? Okay, let's pray together and we're going to dive into this last little portion of uh, Proverbs chapter 30 as we conclude our series together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you, serve you, and help us to be faithful to you. Um, Lord, would you teach us through your word this morning and help us, um, Lord, to live upright, peaceable, self-controlled lives in an age in which there seems to be a lot of chaos, little peace, and lots of people that lack self-control. Lord, may that not be said of us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, so this week I was reading a story about a woman who spouted off to her husband and she said, you know, I oftentimes get really angry and when I do, people know it, but it's not that big of a deal because I just kind of blow up and then once I blow up and I say all that I need to say, I'm over it and I just move on. I don't know about you, but anybody can relate. Like you just let it out. And her pastor looked at her and he goes, hey, that's great, but I shoot a shotgun and it's a very similar thing. I shoot it, it explodes all at once, but the damage is incredible. And that she didn't even know what to say. But I think oftentimes we blow up, we say a lot of things, and then we think that they're just gonna go away. We might lack self-control. But what's crazy is, as I was reading this week about just our conversations, and, and um, studies would suggest that 90% of all of our conflicts in marriage, with friends, with coworkers, in the workplace, everywhere we go, 90% of our conflicts have to do with our response and our tone. Typically, it's the way we say something that, that really creates a lot of the division. We might agree on some things. We might uh, not be incredibly um, upset at the particular conflict, but we create conflict and strife just in our response. So we got to figure out a way to live self-controlled, upright lives in this age. And Agur, this guy who has been writing these incredible words through Proverbs chapter 30, he ends this incredible chapter with a brief warning. Uh, and not only does he give us a warning, he also gives us this little section uh, about what's majestic right before that. And so we're gonna read all of it and then we're gonna spend some time talking through it. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll put it for you up on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one on both campuses before you leave today. But Proverbs chapter 30, verse 29 and 33 says this. There are three things that are stately in their tread. And then he says, no, well, there's four that are stately in their, their stride. And then he gives us what they are. He says, there's the lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster, the he-goat. Everybody know what a he-goat is? Um, it's just a male goat. That's what it is, okay? And the king whose army is with him. So he goes, there's four things that are in, in essence majestic in their beauty. Like you, you look at them and you behold them uh, when you look intently. He goes, you got a lion, which doesn't retreat before anything and, and everything in the sense uh, bows to the lion. It's the mightiest among all beasts. He goes, you got the rooster, you got the male goat. And then he goes, and you got a king when his army follows him. And he goes, those are majestic things. And then he moves his attention from there and he goes, these things aren't so majestic. These things are what we would consider foolish. Verse 32, he goes, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. And the chapter ends. You're like, kind of a weird ending a little bit. He talks about these things that are majestic and then he goes, and then here's the things that'll produce anger and strife and, and bitterness. And so let's look closely at verse 32 and 33 as we close our time together in hindsight is 2020 because if we can learn this, I think it'll change the way we think about this past year and even our response as we move forward. In verse 32, it just says, if you have been foolish. And I don't know about you, um, he's in a sense, posing a little bit of a question here. He goes, if you've ever been foolish, 
or if you've ever devised evil or you have a plan to, he goes, you should put your hand on your mouth. But let's talk about real quickly what he means by exalting yourself. Exalting yourself is really speaking about this this arrogance or pride that oftentimes rises up within us. Now, when you look at this idea of exalting yourself, it's only found two times in all of our Bible. Agur mentions it here in Proverbs chapter 30, but it's also found one other time, and it's in Exodus chapter 9, when when God is talking to Pharaoh about letting his people go. And in verse 17, he just says, you're exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God says, hey, you're exalting yourself. And what he's in essence saying to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter nine, he goes, when you exalt yourself, he goes, it is your pride that is about to bring about your fall. And when, when you fall, what he's trying to help Pharaoh realize is it's, it's not just you that's gonna fall. See, here's what I want you to realize. It's when we exalt ourselves, we are not the only ones that are affected by our pride. Usually our pride, our stubbornness and um, our lack of being able to think through things clearly usually is like a shotgun blast that affects lots of different people. It's like a bomb that goes off and there's shrapnel that goes everywhere. And I will tell you that in the case of exalting yourself, Agur is saying, hey, you need to be wise about that. And then we see one other time in all the scriptures where a guy named Pharaoh, uh, the leader of Egypt at the time, was not wise about it and it affected his entire country. Not only did it affect his entire country, but it affected families and loved ones. It even affected him uh, because eventually his firstborn son would be taken and as God would take all the firstborn sons throughout the entire land. When we exalt ourselves, we may think initially we're exalting ourselves in pride and arrogance against one person. But I want you to realize anytime we exalt ourselves, whether it be against your enemy or against your foe or your adversary, or maybe it just be against somebody in your own family to make a point. Every time we exalt ourselves, we need to realize that we are also putting ourselves in opposition to a God who encourages us to humble ourselves. Let me say that one more time. Anytime that we exalt ourselves, regardless if we think we are justified in our exaltation, we are in opposition against a God who encourages us to humble ourselves. And that's exactly what Pharaoh has done here. Pharaoh decides he's gonna go toe-to-toe with his enemies. And when he goes toe-to-toe with his enemies, he chooses to go toe-to-toe with God. And every time that he would make a decision in arrogance, he would bring about self-imposed pain and destruction and eventually death on those he led and those he loved. And our arrogance oftentimes brings pain on the people we lead and we love. And so here's what I want you to encourage you to just think about today. Guys, a humble heart will repress the unholy desire that you have to ignite an inferno of anger in you. And so there's this unholy um, desire sometimes that we have. And, and what it does in a sense is it, it creates this inferno of rage and anger sometimes in us. And it affects those that we lead and love. It affects other people every single time. But here's the deal, that's not how God desires for us to live. Matter of fact, Peter encourages his audience in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says these things. Uh, he says, finally, all of you, I think we can listen to, all of us could say these things or, or desire to live these things. He says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Guys, if hindsight were 2020 and we were to look back over the course of the last eight months, 
all the things that we have seen transpire in our land, in our families, in our workplaces, the enormous amount of new policies that we have in our workplace that we didn't have this time last year, all the frustrations, all the tensions that we have, the question is, is would people say about you that you have a unity of mind, that you've been sympathetic or understanding, that you've devoted yourself to brotherly love and a tender heart? Like, is that what people would say about you? Is that what people would say that you have a humble mind? Peter goes on, he says, hey, listen, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called to do, that you may obtain a blessing. God goes, listen, I can bless uh, humble people. I I love to honor humility. I love that when people have unity of mind and are sympathetic and express brotherly love and, and unity in those things, that they have a humble mind. I get uh, God gets the idea of what it looks like to live in hum- humility and encourages us that. Matter of fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way in James chapter 4. He begins the chapter in saying, hey, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among us? And he goes, isn't it our selfishness that wages within? But later on, a handful of uh, verses down in verse 6, he goes, but he, meaning God, desires to give more grace. Therefore, it says, and this is what it says in verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he encourages us to do something in verse seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In essence, what he's saying is, is he goes, if you want, if you don't want to live in opposition to God, he goes, then you need to, in humility, surrender yourselves to God. And you do that in serving other people by grace and with humility. And the only way that happens is if we resist the devil, and we flee from him. Uh, The reality is, is that oftentimes we do things in our flesh that we know that they don't honor God, yet we follow through with them anyway, because in some crazy notion in our mind, we think that to vindicate vindicate ourselves is justified, and our response oftentimes is deadly. James goes on in verse eight, though. He says that you should draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And as I think about just humility and I think about the two passages we've read there from 1 Peter 3 and James chapter four, here's the deal. Humble people don't repay evil with evil. Like we're... People in humility aren't looking to find a way to justify their anger or their opposition to another person. People that live in humility, they find a way to repress the inferno of anger. Like even though you, in a sense, know that there is this anger that wells up inside of you, you find a way, in a sense, to repress it or to live with self-control. It's a challenge, I realize, but the reality is is that humble people are continually knowing that they have to draw near to God so that he is the one exalted in our lives. People who are angry and bitter and cynical and the people that oftentimes uh, continue to feed the inferno of rage in their lives are typically people that do not spend adequate time searching after the things of God. They spend far more time um, fulfilling the desires of their flesh and pursuing the things that we know God is opposed to 
then pursuing God's word and developing a spirit of humility, of love, affection, and brotherly kindness. And listen, I get it. Maybe you were raised in a family or in a place in which you were taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Maybe you were taught um, that in order to defend our family name and anybody talks about your mama, um, hey, listen, you're to battle it out on the playground. Um, there are certain things that are innate within us that we, in a sense, feel this, this um, desire in us to defend certain things. And sometimes it's our integrity. Sometimes it's our name. Um, sometimes it's our own pride. Um, sometimes it's even God. But the reality is what you and I need to understand that when we defend somebody in a way that doesn't please God, we are not defending the gospel in any way that's clear. And so we just have to think through that. The reason why is because humility is a characteristic that God desires in every single one of us. And here's why. Because humility actually leads to life and peace and joy and many of the things in which we see enriched through the fruits of the Spirit. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32. We just read a second ago, if you've been foolish by exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil, which means to revile in returns, Agur gives an encouragement. He says, put your hand on your mouth. Okay, uh, what does he say? Put your hand on on your mouth. Hey, let's do it one more time just because there's some of us that we need this today. When you are about to say something by exalting yourself, or you're going to revile evil with evil, he goes, put your hand on your mouth. Man, wouldn't that be a blessing? Like parents, this may be the, the most treasured tool you have in a week where your kids are at home this week. Son, just put your hand on your mouth. Baby girl, just put your hand on your mouth. Um, you might have to change the way you say it to your spouse, but I'm sure there is a way that makes sense in humility. But Agur, he, he just says, hey, if you are devising evil or you're exalting yourself, he goes, don't be like Pharaoh who, who couldn't put a hand on his mouth. Like, don't be like that. He goes, put your hand on your mouth. And what he's in essence saying is to live with self-control. And here's what you need to realize. Humility produces self-control and righteousness, which leads to life and peace. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, what we're in essence encouraging is that the Lord would work in us by his spirit. So God opposes the proud or the haughty or the arrogant, but he gives life and peace and joy to those with humility would seek after him, who resist the devil, flee from him, and draw near to God. And that's what James is encouraging us to do. He goes, when we draw near to God, he goes, we begin to exhibit a place where the Spirit can live. The Spirit lives in places of humility. The reason that the Spirit will not indwell someone who won't humble themselves is because when we think that we are our own God, we're not giving a place for God to bear fruit on fertile ground. And so when we humble ourselves, what we're encouraging is that we would cultivate a ground in our lives to say, hey God, would you just throw your seeds in my life and will you bear fruit? And the fruit that we encourage God to bear in our lives is, is producing in us because of a humble heart and fertile ground, this idea of self-control. And self-control leads to righteousness. Consider Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Uh, some scriptures that encourage you to, to memorize. It just says, but 
The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then it says these things, these words, and against such things there is no law. And the idea there that Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, he goes, hey, listen, when you exhibit a heart of humility and you have the fruits of the Spirit, he goes, there is, there is no place to lock you up. That you don't have prisons, you don't have jail cells, uh, you don't have incarceration for people who have too much love or too much joy. Now, don't me wrong, if you don't have joy and humility in your life, you are annoyed by people that love too well and have too much joy. But we don't lock them up. And so even though there's a lady at your work who just seems to always have joy, and even though throughout difficult circumstances in her life or in others' lives, you realize like she just continues to overflow with this bountiful joy, and you're annoyed by it. Because like, I don't understand. What are you happy about? You just lost your mom. Yet she produces joy, and it's simply because of the fruit of the Spirit. So we don't lock people up because they have too much joy or too much peace or too much love, because there is There's no law for that. And then it goes on to say, look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ. So those who have humbled themselves and God has lifted up by his righteous right hand in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In essence, what we see the New Testament writers saying is, is that when we, when we crucify our old flesh, we crucified the proud and arrogant and haughty heart. And we should live in humility. And that's what we are encouraging us to do. And so here's what I would encourage you to do is make sure that you are walking closely after the Lord in humility. Because a man without self-control is like a city with its walls plundered and broken down. When you are lacking self-control, you have, in a sense, given yourselves over to the enemy and you have no fortified walls in your life. You're, in a sense, exposing yourselves to dangerous tactics and not only that, death for you and those you love. James 1 says it this way in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What he's saying is, he goes, put your hand over your mouth. If the fruit of the Spirit is going to come out, then you need to make sure that other things don't. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, was the scripture we have memorized in our house. just says, a soft answer, or maybe you've memorized it, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We oftentimes talk about that in our house. And one of the ways that you would know that one of us is becoming angry to the point that we may say something foolish is we'll say, hey, you are stirring my anger, which simply means that you are making it difficult for me to give a gentle or a soft answer. It's a great way to communicate even within our household. But in verse two, it goes on. He says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but, per, uh, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So he says, listen, you can give a gentle answer, which doesn't stir up strife and division. You can be a tree of life, which is something that, that preserves and, and gives fruit. Or if you want, you can, you can give over to the perversion of your tongue. And it's going to bring about death. It breaks the spirit. 
And so here's what you and I need to realize is that as we close this, this series, as we kind of give way to the closure of the craziest year in our lifetime, you need to know that there's 39 more days of this madness. And as we think through that, here's what I want you to think about is that our responses can do one of two things. It can stir division or our responses can restore life. And so real quickly, I want to put it up for you on the screen where you can see it. It says uh, simply this, our responses can stir division or they can restore life. That's what the writers are saying. That's what Agar is saying. That's what Paul is saying. That's what James is saying is that our responses have a choice. Like they stir division, they stir up strife, they bring about anger and hostility, or they can bring fruitfulness and they can bring life and they can bring joy. And that's your choice. We get to choose our responses. In March this year, um, about a week uh, and a half after all of the COVID stuff hit, we went online. It was a really challenging time. It was challenging for me. And, and even uh, as we were making decisions that oftentimes I felt like maybe we would second guess at times and not really knowing exactly what to do. The one thing that I do know that the Lord put something on my heart there um, that I shared in a message with you guys. And these are the words I shared um, just around everything that was going on in our culture and the things that I knew that we were going to have to deal with. And, and this is what I, I said. I'm going to put it for you up on the screen on both campuses, and just simply is that obstacles can be a birthplace of opportunity or they could be a breeding ground for division. And, and I shared that just a couple of weeks in to some of the things that we were beginning to see. I mean, uh, you saw uh, Facebook posts from lots of people that I love and, and care about, but that didn't necessarily represent humility and didn't necessarily always point others towards um, a tongue that brings life and joy and peace. And in the middle of all of that, one of the things I saw for the very first time is, is not just um, division that we have in our country based off of um, maybe political beliefs, but then you just begin to see things kind of creep into the church a little bit in ways that I don't know that I've ever seen. And not in the sense of arguing over the color of chairs or carpets, but like kind of beginning to argue over even like how we respond to things and, hey, does... Do we give government authority in our lives or we do, do we not? And listen, um, I will tell you, I have a variety of opinions about that too, right? Like if you catch me um, by myself, I'm liable to share a little bit more with you in person than what you would ever hear me share from stage. And I'm sure that probably as I talk through that, um, that some of the things I might share would not necessarily line up with you all the time. And, and that's okay. The reality is, is they may line up perfectly with you. Here's what I would say is that oftentimes I need to realize that even in my opinions, that's all they are. Um, That most of my opinions aren't always incredibly factual. Um, Most of my opinions, if I'm honest, like this is just the way I'm wired, are usually kind of ruled a little bit by the way I'm feeling that day. And if my opinions are likely to change tomorrow when I have a more compelling conversation with somebody who's more intelligent and has more facts than me. Um, The reality is, is, what I want you to know is that obstacles can do just a couple of different things. Like it, it can be a great opportunity for us to learn in humility. And that's what I shared eight months ago is that it's a great opportunity for us to position ourselves in a place of just teachability, that we can humble ourselves. Obstacles refine us and shape us. They bring about perseverance in us. Um, they bring about in, in essence, the things that God uses 
to grow us into maturity. It is obstacles that when we approach them in the right way that God uses to develop us godly character. But the challenge is if we don't put our hand over our mouth and we don't live with self-control in a day and age where there's chaos and little control, then we can get sucked into it all and it becomes a breeding ground for division. If you were to look back over the course of the last eight months, the question is, is if people were just to kind of represent you, just your coffee conversations at work or the times that you run into somebody, what are they, what are they saying about you? I mean, do they see you as somebody that's got an opinion about everything? And, and are they saying, hey, um, you bring about a lot of division? Or do they say, hey, this is a person who exemplifies a life of peace and godly character. And in some ways, as we've been encouraged in Timothy and in Peter, that they live peaceful and quiet lives. That, that in a sense, they don't draw a lot of attention to themselves. They just live in humility. Is that what it looks like? And I would just tell you, I think that's the goal, is that we would, that we would honor our king. Listen, what I am not saying is that there's not a time and a place for the church to make a stand very publicly, um, very tactfully, but also, in a sense, very forcefully. I'm not saying there's not a, a time where the church needs to stand in opposition to things in our culture, with our government, etc. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is that in most matters of our life, we lack self-control simply because of where we are in that particular moment or day or season. And we've got to be careful about that. And the way that happens is really ver- or the number three thing for us, and that is just to pursue peace more than we do our passion- passions that wage within us. Listen, our passions that wage within us are from our flesh. Second Timothy chapter two, Timothy re- uh, says it this way. And if you're studying along with us in Timothy, hopefully you'll read this in another week or so. It just says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then look what it says in verse 23. This would, be, this would be something for us to meditate on this week, to think about. Uh, this is going to be a question in the sermon, uh, sermon uh, guide tomorrow in the Stone Point News. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Like there's just a point that we go, hey, I don't know that I can talk about this anymore because I know it's not bringing fruitfulness in my life. It's not bringing peace or joy And so it's just time for me, in a sense, to leave that topic alone. It's time for me to move on because every time it brings about strife or quarrels. Verse 24, uh, Timothy uh, is encouraged by Paul these things. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Is that how you correct your opponents? God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Think about this. If you are able to suppress your desires and passions, the war that wages in you for the mere fact that others would see the way you conduct your life, live in fruitfulness, in humility, allowing the fruit of God to bless you. In a sense, what Paul is saying, Timothy, when you respond in this way, you can win their hearts for the gospel. So what he, in essence, as I read that, he's saying, he goes, hey, this idea of, of conflict, it can be a, 
a, a great opportunity for us to grow and mature, or he goes, it can be a breeding ground for division. In our response, we can either share the gospel in our response, or we can share our own worldly passions. One wins people towards Christ and for the gospel, and the other one draws people away from God and in a sense does a Heisman stiff arm pose towards them. And we have to choose which one it's going to be. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He goes, strive for peace with everyone and, and for the holiness without which no one sees the Lord. He goes, when you don't act with holiness, no one sees the Lord in your life. That's what he's saying. When you revile in return, when you repay evil with evil, when you can't put your hand on your mouth, he goes, you cause a striving or a contention. And that's exactly what Agar is talking about as he closed the chapter in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33. He goes, it's a pressing, because milk produces courage, pressing the nose produces blood, and oppressing anger produces strife. And all three times there, he uses the Hebrew word meets, M-I-Y-T-S. It's found three times in all of our Bible, and it's in the same verse. He goes, just as you would churn or press or manipulate milk to get curds, just as you would press a buddy, and in a sense, you would bring about blood from his nose, this striving, this pressing. He goes, it's the same thing when we get angry. It's a pressing, and in essence, it does not produce in us the character of God. It does not display the goodness of God. So he goes, you just gotta be careful not to let your anger get you to a place where you are stirred or you're pressed or you are churned like butter. Because anytime that you are beat back and forth with that type of veracity, he goes, you are prone to not put your hand on your mouth. And he goes, you gotta be careful about that. You gotta be wise about that. And so let me just lead with this verse as we close our time together. In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 18, it just says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And in verse 18, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's think about that real quickly. Verse 18, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not live peaceably with some, not be peaceable with those you agree with, but as it depends on you for the sake of the gospel, if not you, not your family, for the sake of our Lord, just get you out of the way for a moment. Fight against your passions that wage war in your soul. Remove you from the context and just think about our Lord who so graciously gave his life up so that others might come to know him. So far as it depends on you, keep your hand over your mouth. That's what he's saying. Be careful. Be wise. Be earnest in your conduct and your speech. I know you've got an opinion, friends. I do too. I have tons of opinions in which I have, have chose in the last eight months to refrain from sharing the majority of them. 
And the reason why is because it's wise. It's wise so that I can live at peace with you. It's wise so that I can live in peace with my enemies. And it's wise because I am a person who is simply called to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And more than I deserve to let my opinions be aired, like many of my other friends in the pastorate, I've just chosen to live a more peaceful and quiet life among the pagans. And the reason why is not because I'm a coward and not because I don't have a variety of opinions that I think could possibly be shared. Probably in which would, in some cases, bring about a more staunch support from many of you in this room. But the reality is I just don't see oftentimes the things that I might want to share in my flesh, how they would be helpful to the kingdom of God. And listen, let me say this real quickly. The opinions I share might be helpful to this particular body, but they wouldn't be helpful to the kingdom of God. And I need you to think through that. The things that I think about sometimes might be helpful to this body, meaning I might stir something within you, in my opinions, that wouldn't promote the kingdom as a whole. And I think that's where we got to be real careful too, is an understanding that some of the things we fight for sometimes are fighting for a particular cause, but may not consider the entire kingdom as a whole. And we need to think about the kingdom of God. And so for me, I choose oftentimes to put my hand on my mouth. And then can I just make a confession to you? Sometimes I do that too often. One of the things I wrestle with is when I should make a public stance on a particular subject or a particular stance on a certain thing, because it does oppose God's truth and it does infringe upon particular things in our faith. And it's a, it's a struggle for me. Um, but what I want to do always is I want to live in such a way that I'm always considering ways to fight against the war that wages in me. That is my flesh. So that the kingdom of God is promoted in my life. And I'll tell you, that can be a challenge for me. And I'm sure it can be a challenge for you. And the reason that I want to do such is because I know that a gentle answer turns away wrath. But, um, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And friends, I don't want to be a person who's striving or churning or pressing in in such a way that those who are far from Jesus want to punch me in the nose. And that's what Agar is saying. That's what he's saying as he closes. He goes, if your response brings about a hostility from your enemy, though you're right, and their response is not to look into the love you have for Jesus, but they want to draw back and they want to punch you in the face. He goes, I think you've missed the mark as a believer. Do you understand the point? And I think as believers, we oftentimes are very right on our content, but we are very wrong on the way we deliver the content. And it makes our Our enemies want to punch us in the face. And friends, I don't see that that's what God wants. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all as much as possible. Friends, what do you want to be known for? As 2020 draws to a close, as we prepare to head into um, probably a season that brings as much joy as any other season of the year, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known as people of joy? Do you want to be known for people who love and follow Jesus? Do you want to live lives that are self-controlled and upright? Do you want to bring about um, harmony with others, enriched relationships? Do you want to work through conflict, have a dependence upon Christ and love his church well? Or do you want to really truly 
respond every time you have a chance in the flesh? Do you want to promote your own arrogance? Do you want to bring about division and strife? Is that what you want to be known for? Here's the good thing is, is that you have a chance to turn hindsight into foresight. You can look back over the course of eight months and you could do an inventory, a spiritual inventory with God's help. And you could say, Lord, if I was honest with myself over the last eight months, when have I sought to honor you well? And when have I missed the mark? Is there a correlation between the times that I've honored you and the time that I've spent closely with you in your word, abiding with you daily? And is there a correlation from the time that I've not been abiding in your word and have I been a little bit more um, you know, short-tempered? Have I had a shorter fuse? Is there a correlation there? And ask God to do an inventory. Lord, if there be anything in me that doesn't honor you, would you remove it? And one of those things that we need God to remove is our pride and our arrogance and our hostility. May we not strive to produce churning in other people's lives but when we bring peace and joy, knowing that we've loved others well and we've promoted the gospel in our culture by the way we live and respond with our lives and with our lips. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love you and serve you and to live in humility for you. Self-controlled, upright lives, which lead to life and peace. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us um, to realize that our responses always can stir division or they can restore life. They can bring peace and joy and satisfaction or they can stir up great anger and strife and churning in people where they just want to punch us in the face. Lord, I pray that that not be what we're known for. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from our past and turn that hindsight into foresight. Help us to develop new ways to bless others. Help us to live at peace and help us to offer peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.